This is Mark Shepard, Romo Lampkin. You're listening to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. Previously on the Galactica Quorum. It's going to be almost rendered dead in space, basically. And I think they might have to, at that point, say, if we want to go anywhere, forget the FTL drive. We need to, like, attach some serious adaptation of either another ship or silent technology, or we're just totally screwed. I still go back to my theory that the final five Salons were the ones that created the resurrection technology. I think that is quite possible because that fits into my theory that the final five attached themselves in a way to the Cylons. Oh, we could see a cat fight. Stumble into a room somewhere and be like, huh. They've been knocking it out of the frickin' park. Hello, welcome to the Galactica Quorum. It's a frackin' podcast. It's a frackin' podcast about Battlestar Galactica. And this is episode number 67. I'm Brian. Jason. We have a website. It's galacticacorum.com. An email, gquorum at gmail.com. That's spelled G-Q-U-O-R-U-M. And we have a voicemail, 301-358-5175. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our account name is Galactica Quorum. And also, check us out on Facebook as well. For this show, we'll be talking about the episode, No Exit. If you have not listened to the official Ronald D. Moore podcast for that particular episode, there will be no spoilers for upcoming Battlestar episodes. Just a lot of speculation. And we don't watch the previews, so we don't know what might be coming up for that as well. Want to mention that our previous podcast was the Richard Hatch interview. Be sure to check that out. Also have the Michael Hogan interview coming up very soon. Before we get to talking about this episode, just a couple podcast plugs. Dollhouse has begun airing, and there is a podcast about it. It's the Dollhouse Podcast, and you can find that at thedollhousepodcast.com. A bunch of our friends are putting that together. Some of us from the core might be making appearances there as well, so check that out. Also, 24 is running along on Fox, and the Two Guys Talking Network are covering that show. You can check them out at their website. That's Two Guys Talking. That's the number two, guystalking.com. Let's do a couple of voicemails that deal with the last episode. This one is from Matthew in the UK. Hi, Brian. It's Matthew in the UK. I just listened to your latest podcast. I was interested in what you said about Starbuck, uh, where is she coming from, etc. Uh, maybe think about uh, Shelley Godfrey. She appeared and then dis- disappeared going around the corner. Starbuck, just, Starbuck has appeared essentially out of nowhere, essentially just you know, disappears in the void. Um, and I think all the answers to head six and head belts are Shelley Godfrey, this Starbuck, they're all the same. All the answers are going to come from the same place, however it is. So I, I wonder, is this Starbuck that's on the ship now somehow the same kind of entity as the Shelley Godfrey was. Have they been sent from the same place? The Shelley Godfrey was a physical being. She wasn't a you know, hologram. She was actually a physical presence on the ship in the same way the Starbuck, our Starbuck now, is obviously a physical presence. The six degrees of separation was, what, episode six from series one, I think? So if some people may have forgotten about that or forgotten that, you know, that there's the answer, that there's questions or, you know, that early on. And it'd be nice, actually, to think that the writing is that good that they knew early in season one, this was the idea, this, this is where the answers were, this is what's going to happen with Starbuck. And they'd already kind of put that plot line in there. 
So yeah, just a thought. Interesting what you think. Shelly Godfrey was the sixth model that showed up on the Galactica and accused Baltar of... of oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And okay. then... And then disappeared. And then she just vanished. And she turned around, walked down a corridor, and vanished around the corner. I think we're not supposed to really remember that. I thought she was just a plot point for that show. Yeah, kind of like the virus storyline, that yeah. it existed for that amount of time. And they could have used it, but my thinking was they always just had her disappear for a little bit. And once they got the new Caprica, she mingled in with all the other sixes, and there she was. But... Who knows? The big mystery now that the Final Five have told us so much stuff is just what's up with Starbuck. That's one of the few remaining mysteries that we'll have to talk about. Right. Which is funny because I was thinking about it. We're actually getting less and less to talk about because a lot of our stuff's speculation. And they're starting to answer questions. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there's nothing left to speculate. <laughs> and here's call number two. Hi, it's uh, Mark from Norfolk, Virginia. I just wanted to throw a couple quick uh, ideas. Uh, the final scene where Terrell is looking up at the crack or whatnot inside of the Galactico and, and that beam, to me it looked like claw marks, kind of like a tear in space or something like that. And maybe it was glowing, but I don't remember that. I have to go back and rewatch it. But it looked like it was a, uh, like it was a tear, a claw mark. And then one other thing, you guys were talking about uh, the lawyer. I forgot his name. At any rate, you might be interested to know that he actually just was in the latest episode of Burn Notice. He played a, uh, a bank robber, and I thought it would be uh, actually quite a good job with it. Thanks. Have a good day. When Tyrrell first saw the rip and the tear on the bulkhead, the reason I thought there was a little bit more significance to it was because the way the camera moved in on him, they did one of these focus zoom pull things that are used to depict when a character is having a dreamy-ish sort of moment. And that made me think that something might have been going on. But I think there is no more significance to the whole now than it just being that the ship is falling apart. You know, I saw it at the end of that one episode, and I'm like, hey, it's like a little bit of a stress fracture there. And that's what they said it was. Though it's funny, I mean, they certainly couldn't have been more open about the metaphor. The old lady slamming her. You got to be careful how you ride her. <laughs> like, good God, people. <laughs> Calm down. We get it. <laughs> uh, and if you're a Mark Shepard fan, he is showing up on Dollhouse. So that is another place to look for him. Just a couple quick emails. Wes writes that he thinks the dying leader is Admiral Adama. He writes, he was the first to mention taking the fleet to Earth, even though he was lying. He didn't lead them to the planet they found, which isn't Earth. Rosalind did. He's dying. The meds he's taking are to stave off the effects. I'd certainly say that's plausible. Yeah. It would be a little switcheroo. It could be a red herring as well. They might just be setting up uh, the leader being Rosalind still obviously dying. Maybe, maybe they're setting up Lee to be the dying leader. Right. That can make a lot of people happy. <laughs> Harry writes, he wonders if Starbucks Viper, like the Raiders, the Cylon Raiders, is a resurrecting type of entity that has a central brain of some kind. Hmm. He writes that the resurrection central in orbit around Earth, is it still there, though? Question mark. He wonders if it had a Viper in its docking bay. Does the interior of the ship look like Galactica or something? Is Galactica the angel in the wings of an angel? Does Galactica resurrect? I kind of like if the Viper is in the resurrecting facility hangar. That's kind of cool. I don't know how it would work, because I think that's an entirely separate thing to do with whatever other thing is going on with Starbuck. Yeah. 
the mystery of Starbuck is the one. That's one they've still got. That's, that sounds like a whole episode kind of thing to settle. Right. Who she is, where she came from, why she has a connection to the Cylons, even though she's not a Cylon. How she resurrected the Harbinger of Death stuff. Okay, so with that out of the way, I think we'll move on to our discussion of this episode. I had a bit of trouble trying to come up with a recap for this one because I was short on time and all kinds of other things going on. So I actually posted on Twitter if someone would kind of step in and do it. And I got a response from Kit who wrote a recap and a tweet. She wrote, Ellen's back, Cavill's skeevy, Anders vomits up massive exposition before turning into a turnip. I kind of like this recap in a tweet. It's sort of haiku-ish. So I invite everyone who are following us on Twitter to do their own recap in a tweet. Send it to our Twitter account. I think that'd be kind of fun. <laughs> Come up with the most creative ones. But of course, I did do a recap. Busted one out earlier today. So here now is the recap for the episode, No Exit. Following a twisty, matrixy digital conduit to a resurrection hub, Ellen gasps air in the Bay Star's private Final Five suite. She's greeted by Cavill, who is not the least bit surprised that she is a Cylon. Surprise is on us. Turns out Ellen created him. Hold that thought. Tyrrell points out to Adama the Galactica's structural breakdowns and deterioration. Adama patches things up with Tyrrell, giving him back his job as chief, with his first assignment being to do some patching up of his own to the Battlestar. Anders is having a brain dump, in more ways than one. In fact, he becomes a veritable fount of exposition. Pressure from a leaky blood vessel in his head is prompting a stream of unlocked memories, and the other final five Cylons stand wrapped around his bedside as he dispenses one revealing truth after another. To wit, the final five rebuilt resurrection technology on Cylon Earth. When the planet was destroyed, they left for the original colonies retracing their steps, but at sub-FTL speeds. Hooking back up with the Cylon toasters and impressed that they had a one-god theology, they decided to share the resurrection capability with them and then created the eight skin jobs. Got all that? But wait, eight skin jobs? Turns out... There is another. Given one more season, we could have found out in a later episode, but since we are racing toward the series finale, we learn five minutes later that there was a model named Daniel that Cavill irrevocably wiped out. Starbuck is somewhat dismayed to learn that she is not the number seven, but there may yet be a connection to the arty and absent Cylon. Cavill introduces Boomer to his mother. Yeah, ooh, that makes Boomer his sister. Double ooh. He then rants about the constricting nature of his mortal, frail, flesh-and-blood body and demands that Ellen reveal the scientific secrets of resurrection. Tyrrell has inspected the Galactica and the prognosis is grim. To keep her going, a grafting of Cylon Silly Putty would have to be applied to the weakened hull of the Galactica. Adama balks at this, but eventually grants Chief permission to do the job. The brain specialist has arrived to work on Anders and, wait, I know that guy. It's the, I'm a PC guy. Um, is this really a good idea? A Windows PC working on the most complex organic computer ever created? Cavill has been thinking along similar but darker lines. Since Ellen refuses to cooperate with providing information about resurrection technology, he plans to extract the knowledge directly from her brain. Before Cavill can sick the Mac guy on Ellen's gray matter, Boomer busts her out. As Boomer pilots the Raptor out of the base star, evading the pursuing raiders until they make the F-tail jump, they have their first mother-daughter spat. Ellen. They let us go. It's the only explanation for the ease of our escape. Boomer. Easy? You call that easy? Ellen. They're tracking us. Boomer. <laughs> Not this ship's sister. Er. Mother. Anders is out of surgery, and also out of it. The bullet was removed, but his vitals are just one big blue screen of death. PC! Roll credits. That's pretty good. Thanks. Yeah, I thought that was just class. I mean, I actually read that PC guy was a friend of Ronald D. Moore, and that's why they got him on. But to have him be the brain surgeon operating on a Cylon was just... I thought that was inspired. 
it was inspired, but for all of the gravitas of the scene, having him there, it just, it almost right just shattered it the whole right. thing. Right. Because he, you cannot look at him and not just giggle. Right. Oh, no, it was, it was great. There was so much cool stuff, and we'll get back to it. I completely forgotten that Boomer is piloting the Raptor. So, presumably, Boomer's going to end up back on Galactica and find out that Tyrrell's a Cylon, or she knows now. Yeah, that could be one of their conversation points as they're flying around. So now we know that Tyrrell's like a Cylon ladies' man. <laughs> He's had two of them, at least. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we could see a cat fight. <laughs> Who would you put your money on? Would you put oh, your money Boomer. on Boomer? Well, if Tori, it was, a, Tori was pretty... If it was pure physical, I'd put it on Boomer. If it was about being shady and nefarious, it's all about Tori. Hmm. I restate my previous off-air statement. Battlestar Galactica is ruining all other sci-fi for me. It is just the best sci-fi show ever. Because it's not just all about CGI or crazy things or whatever. It's just such a well-written show. And to contrast that with some of the other things that are coming on the TV today as sci-fi, it's like it's two different genres. Definitely agree. That's why I'm going to feel such a void there when it's gone. I I just... Yeah, I can't even... I'm starting to come to grips with this show winding down, and it's, like, really bothering me. Obviously, it's not a discussion point as much as just something to notice, but there's way too much of an Oedipal complex all over the place now. Uh, On that note, I'll play this voicemail from Jesse. I was sitting here re-watching the latest episode, and I had a thought. Has there ever been a better example of someone with a big old Oedipus complex than John or Brother Cavill, because he actually did sleep with his mother, and while he may not have killed his father, he came pretty darn close. Another great episode that gives us a lot of answers, and I look forward to the quorum's dissection of the episode. So obviously, Cavill, John, did it on purpose. I mean, to wipe your mother's memory and then sleep with her on purpose? Weird. Ty sleeping with his quote-unquote daughter though he doesn't really know. That's just a little too heavy for me at the moment. The scenes between Boomer, Cavill, Ellen were fantastic. On hindsight, you would think that Cavill would have realized that he was kind of taking a chance because the whole reason that Boomer was with him in the first place was because she was an independent thinker. So to allow her to be in there with Ellen to possibly change her mind back, it's a bad strategy on his part. It is, but I think the writers covered themselves with her statement about how he wanted an audience, and that fits into his character. Of, oh, it does. It does. Yeah. They've just done so well with him. I, mean, I still remember the revelation on when he was a Cylon. Just that whole great episode with him being Tyrrell's confidant and going, do you think I'm a Cylon? Certainly I'm not a Cylon. And the next scene was a separate cavil coming on the planet. And it's like, yeah, he is a Cylon, even though he just spent there arguing for 20 minutes that he wasn't. Just brilliant stuff with him. My question is where they take Cavill's forces next. The way he thinks, he's like a classic maniacal leader. I mean, he can talk a big game, but I really think without the resurrection ship and the real possibility that he could die, he won't do anything. That's why I wonder if they are setting up for them to follow Boomer. And again, I don't know. I just threw that in there. But maybe he had, you know, he's such a schemer. He was like, I will... Make a event, the brain surgery. Right. It will prompt Boomer to bust her out so that she will lead us to the facility. Because they don't know where the Galactica is, but she knows where the facility is. That's where she came from. So could that be how they get to Earth 
And then from there, find some trail the Galactica left in some manner. Which goes back briefly to the question I asked you. When, when Cavill mentioned colony, is he talking about Earth or is he talking about a Cylon colony that we haven't been introduced to yet? I think he means the Earth colony. Okay. Like the colony of the 13th. Although I would love to someday see the so-called Cylon homeworld, which yeah. not Earth, but wherever they it has to had exist. themselves. Yeah. And speaking of the Cylon homeworld, I mean, also just a fantastic job, I thought. Yeah, it was a little cliched to use the bullet in the brain, brain hemorrhage to release repressed memories kind of thing. But it was just some brilliant exposition to tie up a lot of loose ends on the timeline, on how this all happened before and how they were trying to stop it. And there's two things on that. Number one, I like getting the answers. I just feel like this episode, it was such a exposition dump. I wish they had one more season or a half a season or oh. whatever, just to stretch this out. Right. Because it just seemed like half the episode was the cliche of the character sitting in a hospital bed with people standing around him, and he just starts spewing out this information. But that said... I like hearing some of the answers. I guess the only problem, and it's not really a problem, it's sort of just, at this point, with actual answers being divulged, we've been guessing for so long what's going on, but now we can hold these revealed truths to scrutiny, and some of them are going to be kind of flimsy after we really hold them up to the light. Like, I'm having a hard time swallowing that John slash Cavill placed the final five in the colonies to teach them a lesson about the humans. Maybe his intent makes sense, but the execution just seems odd to me, because Ty and Ellen would have to have been introduced years earlier because they age. And so does that mean that he just kept Tyrrell Anders and Tori boxed up for 20 years? Well, you know, if you're resurrecting, time is not really a factor. It's the ultimate God complex, isn't it? Not only is he, is he acting like God, he, he really doesn't have the, at that time, he had the all the time in the world, you know? Mm. And one other thing that I don't feel one way about it or the other, it's just sort of interesting, is for a long time, we had this impression, and it stemmed from... Aaron Douglas, because he had told us that Final Five were one-offs, and if they die, they die, that we just assumed that they did not resurrect. And, well, it turns out they do. They, they download. It. They created it. So either he was giving us a false trail, or maybe that's just... It is true that they are sort of one-offs. You don't see multiple copies of them running around. Maybe he just took that to mean that as being a single copy that like he was only, it. Only one can exist at a time. Maybe. But if they die, they die. That, to me, means, well, I don't know. Maybe, who knows? I'd have to ask him about that sometime if I ever yeah. see him again. See, the phrase one-off is ambiguous. Yes, there aren't a thousand copies walking around on a base star at one time. Yeah. But, you know, they invented resurrection technology. Well, the way they invented it was there's only one of our consciousness that downloads into a new body yeah. if we die. Yeah, I think that still holds true. I think the one-off statement where there's one of them, there might be a couple bodies just in holding stasis yeah. somewhere it works. Uh, and so in that respect, there's only one Tyrrell, one Ellen, one Ty that will exist at one time. It's just his other part of the statement where he had said, if they die, they die. Apparently, it isn't true. But of course, now they all know the hub is dead. And, you know, if they die right now, they're done. And I guess the other thing about them downloading... The thing that kept me from believing that they could download for a long, long time was just that the practicality of there being another body somewhere in the Cylon fleet for someone just to stumble into a room somewhere and be like, huh, you know, here's this other 
body that we've never that seen. we've never seen before for it to be there for what sounds like apparently many 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 years waiting for them to actually die and and download so a little bit impractical there but I'll, uh, that's just such a minor thing I, i'll let it go well again that goes back to cavill if he's maniacal enough to keep the originals around to introduce them then he's maniacal enough to keep a couple copies of them if you really want to get some serious speculation so they created Resurrection technology and had were uploaded, downloaded to a ship in orbit. So maybe they each made one copy of their body to download into orbit after the Holocaust. Right. But maybe once they created Cavill and started making the other eights, and Cavill helped them make the other eights, maybe Cavill made other copies of their bodies without telling them. Could and, be. And kept them hidden from everyone. Because it sounds like Cavill helped create the other models but he doesn't know how to do resurrection technology. The one other point about the beginning of the episode that I was thinking of was at the very beginning when they're doing the opening credits and they had throughout right. the series, they've, they've changed the opening credits about what's going on. The, the Cylons rebelled. They did this, they did that. This time they showed the Cylons rebelled and then they disappeared. 40 years later, they came back. The moment I saw that, it occurred to me, whoa, we now know there's different Cylons in the galaxy. It didn't happen this way. At least I don't think it did. But the moment I saw 40 years later, they returned after the Chiron that said they had disappeared. I was thinking, was the ones that came back and fought the colonies really the same ones? Like, what if the ones that 40 years ago had left for good actually uh-huh. did leave? And like, these are like a different Cylons from like somewhere else that had come on to the human side. And But I don't think that's what happened. But that did hit my mind is when I saw those two juxtaposed right after each other. I was like, huh. We know that there's different Cylons on Earth, completely different models. What if they had actually, because at the very beginning, Six says, when they mentioned the original toasters, they said, how come we never see the toasters? And she's like, oh, we still have uses for them. And we never really see those anymore. And we saw them in Razor, but that's because they were from the, still from that original war. Right. So we yeah. still have never seen the original toaster. So I was thinking, huh, Well, we, we maybe had, these aren't really the same Cylons. But Right, because the original toasters, they did have the three original toasters, including the gold leader yeah. in the opening credit. Yeah. But again, those are from the original war. We have yet to see on a base star one right. of the original ones. But again, I don't think that's the way it's actually happened. I think it is the same. They they just evolved. They just evolved, or the the final five came. And here's a voicemail from Nick. Hi, Galactic Quorum. This is Nick. I just want to say I watched the uh, last episode and thought it was fantastic. The whole Ellen arc is is looking increasingly interesting, and I'm I'm really excited to see what actually happens. I have no real um, thoughts on what's going to happen. I'm I'm pretty sure. And this is just a shot in the dark. I don't think Anders is going to die. I mean, yeah, the whole he's not in there anymore thing that kind of was like, oh, well, that was a really quick jump from being completely unimportant to being important again and then dead. But I really don't think that he's going to be dying in this one. Some random miracle, some sort will happen, I bet. But um, really loved last week's podcast. So thanks again and uh, keep it up. Bye-bye. Well, uh, but, but I got an email from India. She has the opposite view. She says, well, you certainly got the Anders you were asking for. Too bad he's nothing more than exposition, man. I just can't care about him. I'm waiting for the writers to kill him off next week. So will he die or has he served his purpose? Or because his mind is offline somewhere, is he in this kind of another region? Is he like the next head something? Like, has he joined the head six out there somewhere floating among the ether to meet up with somebody? There's a lot of ways to take that. If Cavill is 
hunting them, you know, using this as a ploy to hunt down the Galactica and find the final five to have the resurrection help. Well, you know, he's not going to come in guns blazing if he thinks that all five are alive. But if he learns that one is dead and they've convinced him that it takes all five to redo the resurrection stuff, then he may have no more remorse about just starting to kill everything in sight. So I think Anders still has a role to play. Before he did flatline his brainwaves, he, of course, had lots of stuff to say. And one of the things was about the signs that they saw before the apocalypse. He said, talking to Tori, that you saw a man. And he said to Tyrrell, you saw a woman. That brings to mind, of course, the head versions, perhaps. Baltar is seeing a head six. Starbuck saw a head Leoban, who said he wasn't Leoban. So he was obviously something else. It does bring up a question of why Baltar saw a head Baltar. At the very beginning of the miniseries, before the silence started attacking the planet, there's a really quick beat where Six, Caprica Six, just after she has a meeting with Baltar, she's in a, like an open courtyard, and she turns around and she says to someone who's off camera, I was wondering when you were going to show up. And they don't show who it is. There's The camera cuts immediately to the Cylon in the Galactica Museum. And I always wondered who that was. Was she seeing something at that time telling her that something was going to go down at that point? Was it Maybe seeing someone was the sign Yeah, that it was happening. But I wonder if they're going to ever readjust that. That brings us to the brand new Cylon, which we've never met. Number seven, the Daniel. Right away, people have been emailing us saying, Starbuck is that character, or I think Daniel could be her father. Her father was supposedly a pianist or something, or a musician. We had said before about the possibility of Ty being her father and how that really worked, except for the fact that I hate it because that would just be too, I'm your father type of thing. But if it's a different Cylon, that'd be cool. But again, the problem is he was not a Final Five Cylon, and the eight, it used to be the seven, now it's the eights, the eight models. No, boom, it's the, to me it's the seven, because Boomer's the eight. Right, but I'm saying like there used yeah. to be seven, right. seven of the twelve, but now it's eight of the twelve. Well, I guess now it's eight of the thirteen. Although actually, the whole twelve thing isn't isn't really anything at all. It always was just eight. I was wondering if there's any connection with a Daniel in some sort of mythological context, and I looked up Angel Daniel, and I found something on Wikipedia that says the Angel Daniel has Greek and Hebrew origins. As the seventh watcher of the 20 leaders of the 200 fallen angels that are mentioned in the ancient work called the Book of Enoch. So the angel Daniel is actually referred to as the seventh watcher in that book. So perhaps complete coincidence. I don't know, but I think that's kind of interesting. If Daniel is her father, then he's the only model of the eight, the only male model of the eights that's been able to father a child. Well, look at it this way. This just occurred to me. You look at who is pregnant or who could possibly have conceived. The six is pregnant. The seven, I'm postulating, was the father of Starbuck. And the eight, the boomer line, had a baby. So the last three that they created, perhaps they perfected it at that point. Yeah, okay. That's one way to look at it. I'm intrigued to see uh, what happens when Ellen finds out that Saul got a six pregnant. Not to mention the fact that he killed her. Well, she seemed to accept that. He had to. I guess when she woke up, she had the memories of the previous Ellen. Right. And she knew what happened. But they're definitely making a lot of noise about Ty and Six and then the baby. They've had scenes on several episodes now where they're fawning over ultrasounds and feeling it kick. And they're really building this up as being very important. And obviously it is because that's their continuing the line. Right. 
And also, we're going to continue the Battlestar line. Because if we introduce Cylon Tech, I think Galactica survives. Though it's funny, he was more than happy to tell all the other ships in the fleet they had to take the Cylon FTL Tech. But then he, like, balked when it was on the Galactica. Yeah, I thought that was a little bit odd, out of character. I could see him maybe saying, no, I don't want Cylon Tech on my ship. Because, to me, I look at it like he would be thinking, we're like the last stop. If all of the ships somehow, something happened to them, we'd still have this ship as the fighting force. And, you know, we could make a stand there. But if we say, okay, give the silent technology to us. And if it overtakes our ship, then it's it's over. So I could see him kind of being hesitant to do that. But when he was saying how I only want human crews working on this, that seemed very odd to me. And I think it's just because they wanted to reinforce his wavering about whether to put the silent thing on. So they added that other comment about the human crews. Well, especially because it came right after the, I'm still a Cylon, so is my XO. Yeah. But you know what it is? He trusts them because he's known them. He doesn't trust new Cylons, the ones that are the replicant Cylons. But he's known these two final fivers forever, and he trusts them because of their actions previously. More and more, it's just leading up to what you were talking about you know, a year ago before the last season started, where you saw it as the surviving members being like a mixed bag of Cylons and humans that start all over again. If you go back now to where it all began on COBOL, it sounds like since the resurrection technology started on COBOL, this is where I'm fuzzy. Did the humans on COBOL create Cylons that then became the 13th tribe and left? And if they created Cylons, were they organic from the start? Because I don't think they had mechanical Cylons down there. I'm really fuzzy about that whole thing. And the other thing I'm wondering about is Cylon Earth... This is one of the reasons why I didn't like how fast they skedaddled out of Silent Earth, because you figure the Silons were advanced enough to have nuclear technology and arrive from space, from somewhere. So you'd have to think they'd have some rudimentary space travel. So I was wishing that they had hung around a little bit, done a little research to figure out, you know, what level of technology they had that might give them clues about. Maybe they took off somewhere else, or if they don't have FTL technology, that probably means that Unless someone caught up with them using slow sub-FTL, who nuked them? Did they just have their own global apocalypse? Where yeah, they it, was their own, it was their own Cylon. Was it the Cylon's uprising that killed Yeah, it, it? was their own toaster's uprising. Okay. I wasn't clear on that. That's what, why I inferred it. Actually, two different points. One, the other thing I like that leads into the mix thing was it was a minor scene, and there's really no need to play it out, but it was actually, I think, a really nice piece of writing. The discussion between Roslyn and Lee where they're looking at the quorum going, you know what, we need to have a quorum, but there's no sense in having Caprica, Gemini, what, you know, all those, because that's not who we are anymore. Right. And then Rosalind threw in the, you know, that's a good idea, you should do that while I'm alive so you can lead it when I'm gone. So it was a nice piece of the government officials realizing also that things will never go back to what they were. We have to learn to live in a new system. Right. The thing I liked about that particular scene was that it was almost like the third episode in a row where Lee gets chastised by some comment from either in the past it was Zarek and in this episode it was Roslyn where she tells him, you want to do the right thing so often, but sometimes you just don't do the smart thing. And he's just yeah. like, no, yeah. I like that the writers have been, the last three weeks almost seem to have been offering like an olive branch to saying, yes, yes, we hear you. <laughs> 
after spending all these time watching it and speculating, I really have enjoyed what's been happening so much that I'm willing to almost stop speculating per se and just enjoy how they're playing it out. Oh, I agree. I, I mean, they've been knock they've been knocking it out of the frickin' park. Yeah, like I said before, there's things you can now scrutinize because. Once you expose things, you can go back and with a fine-tooth comb, go over every little detail and say, oh, wait, this doesn't matter. And I think, yeah, that will happen. But And I'll probably be one to point it out. But it is not anything that, at least at this point, ruins the reputation of anything that they've done so far. I think it all makes sense. I think there will be people who won't be completely happy. Like, there's probably still people who think Ellen was a bad choice. But I think to this point, they said all the pieces started to fit together. And to this point, it has. And again, the one thing that's still remaining is the whole head versions and Starbucks legacy and how they explain that. So we'll see how that all fits together. All right, so grade-wise, this one was kind of hard for me. <laughs> I've said that a lot this season because like, there's been episodes that have been really good episodes, and there's ones that have been a lot of setup, so they were hard to gauge, and you had to like wait for other ones to follow them to see how they would fit into the puzzle. This one here, just because it was so much exposition, I almost felt like there wasn't a story, really. It was like the last couple pages of a part of a chapter was you're getting towards the end, so it wasn't really like a chapter itself. What I really liked was Cavill. I think Dean Stockwell is awesome. He's always been one of my favorites on the show. If I had anything to complain about, it would be that a lot of his monologues were shot really tight on his face. And he's an actor that uses his hands a lot. I just remember a lot of scenes where it was really tight on his face, an extreme close-up. I was saying out loud, I'm like, medium shot, just something, because... He really does a lot of gesturing, and the one time they did cut back with the camera was when he had that line about the prehensile pause, and he put his hands up, and I thought that was great. But that's a really minor quibble. But So yeah, I give that bit an A. I give most of it uh, really high marks. But just in terms of a story as an episode, I give it a B. Fitting in within the whole season arc, it's an A, but the story itself, the episode itself, a B, which again is is really good. So Yeah, I could agree with that. If this were a standalone episode, you know, a lot of talking. But it was a standalone episode in the sense that it's the one we've all been waiting for to start answering a lot of these questions. If Sci-Fi, NBC, whoever it was, told them you have this many episodes left to do it, I view everything not so much as a standalone episode, but as that chapter in a whole season series. So I'll give it an A, and I think it raises the average of every episode they've done to date this season to it. They're all A's so far, because they're all fitting. And I hate, you know me, I hate being the fanboy, (laughs) but I got no complaints at all. I've loved every episode this season, season five, as we call it, with the exception of the second one. I I see its merit because it set up the mutiny, but I still, that episode, the way I look at it is, would I want to go back and watch that one again and again? No. No. That that one of all of them is the one I'm going to be like, I could skip that one. But you're not going to watch them all individually. No. I mean, again, and you say this about a lot of sci-fi shows, even the bad ones, and, and this is certainly not the bad one, but there's a lot of shows these days that just work better if you tape like three and four episodes at a time and then watch them all in a, just a quick hit. Yeah. Yes, episode two would apply better if you were watching them all quick, quick, quick. But they're all just dovetailing in so nicely that I've got no complaints. It certainly does show that when they don't have to do standalone episodes, somewhat as filler episodes, it makes a huge difference. Because this season, they just 
don't have the luxury, and I don't even know if you call it a luxury. It's more like a burden of doing standalone right. episodes. There's like, no break episode. Right. There's no break episode like uh, the union ship episode or the boxing the boxing episode or you know, things like that that just seemed really well, out of place. Okay. And, and I was just thinking about this, and this is just to plop it in your head and maybe some other people's heads as well. Taking this show and the other one that I gave up on, uh, Heroes, they are both more or less NBC properties. It's just that one got shuttled off to the sci-fi channel because of its history and its origins. And it's become this wonderful thing. And Heroes got kept on NBC as a kind of a, a, a test. And when it became a breakout thing, NBC kind of took it over and tried to make it a mass market show. I think there could be a great discussion about what would have happened if the places had been switched. What if BSG was the one that had a breakout season on NBC and then the NBC money people got hold of it and ruined it? And Heroes was the one that took this nice little idea that germinated over the first season and was this just really well-written, well-scripted, well-acted fantastic drama with a sci-fi bent that had a cult following. I could see that switch happening. Yeah. Well, there was a time when Battlestar was being talked about moving to NBC when they had they were thinking about showing the series to fill up some time on the network and whether that would mean that they would move there permanently and that never did happen obviously. So And I think it would have ruined it because yeah. like I said at that point it's got to you start talking about the mass marketing of a show and it just would have killed it. Uh yeah, we sort of get this but it would work better if Starbucks wore like Less of a flight outfit and more of a dress like six. <laughs> just little stupid things like that. So just a thought, a discussion for post. Okay. I think that covers this episode. Send us your recap tweets on our Twitter account. I think that'd be fun. Oh, which, by the way, that reminds me of a lot of the uh, your biography in six words, mm. that project, which is pretty cool, too. Our website is galacticacorum.com, our email gquorum at gmail.com, our voicemail 301-358-5175. Keep those emails and voicemails coming. So say we all. So say we all. Until the next time, the jump clock is running. Bye-bye. Don't mix up your pages or you will regret it. Okay.